Hi, everyone. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned for my next wonderful guest. Be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're with me today. My guest is a New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She is a Christie Award winner and a double Rita finalist. Let me tell you, that's pretty impressive. She also um, has had one of her books was named, The Wedding Dress was named the Inspirational Novel of the Year by the Romantic Times Book Club. She is also the recipient of RT's Career Achievement Award. One of her books, called Once Upon a Prince, was filmed for an original Hallmark movie. And three of other other books, The Wedding Dress, The Wedding Shop, and A March Bride, have all been optioned for film. She is a graduate of Ohio State University with a degree in journalism and a former sorority girl. But she and her husband now live in Central Florida. And she, although... She still remains a Buckeyes football fan. I don't understand that. I'm thrilled to welcome best-selling author Rachel Halk to the show. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Pam. It's a delight to talk to you. It is wonderful to speak to you. I know at one point we were all we were supposed to meet in Palm Beach at a Barnes and Noble for a big romance event that was being put on, and unfortunately, I could not go. But I'm glad that you're here with me now. Congratulations on all your wonderful success. Thank you so much. You kind of have to pinch yourself sometimes, and every author out there listening will know what I'm talking about. You just kind of jump into the writing pool and the pond, and you try to see, okay, where am I going? How, where is this taking me? And I feel very blessed and fortunate to have some of the things that have happened to me on this journey. So, and I love telling stories and I love writing. So just that alone is so satisfying. So you went to school to study journalism. It is not a leap that many writers um, have gone from journalism into book writing. Um, Were you in fact a practicing journalist before you decided to novel write? No, I was not. Halfway through journalism school, I said, I am not a reporter. I love facts and details, and I'm pretty good at being nosy and asking a bunch of questions. But I knew that, like, getting in someone's face and just drilling them and kind of being um, hard-nosed sometimes, as journalists have to be, wasn't really going to be me. Plus, Pam, I'll just be flat honest, the pay for is horrible. starting (laughs) journalist, it was horrible. I could not survive on it. It's like 200 even in the 80s, $200 a week, you can't live on that. So I, um, I really always wanted to be a novelist. And so I only studied journalism to kind of help me with the discipline of writing, to learn to write tight and clean, and, you know, the who, what, when, where, why, and how kind right. of format that you have to have to tell a story. And so that was ultimately my goal. And then when I graduated, I just happened to land a job in Florida working at a tech company and my, I actually trained people on computers at newspapers. So I was on the technical side of the newspaper world, which I was totally unqualified for. I hated math. I didn't want anything to do with computers. I knew nothing about computers except garbage in and garbage out. And here I am <laughs> teaching people how to write scripts and formic scripts and how to install computers. I'm reading 
um, translation tables that are written in hex or Octagon. I'm like, binary numbers, what? So, but yeah, it was a great training ground, actually. That's interesting. Um, I actually was a journalism major, and I was, um, and that's where I was gearing to. And then during some classes, a, a college class I took during the summer before I was a senior in high school, I um, met a guy who was teaching this journalism class who was like the lifestyles editor for the Miami Herald. And I was really excited about going into journal- journalism, didn't care what I was going to cover. And he said, listen, this is a great field to be in if you want to be poor all your life. And so his words <laughs> stuck with me. I ended up becoming a geriatric rehab therapist instead. <laughs> you know? So physical therapy was my calling instead. You, I couldn't have strayed further away. So I totally get I it. I think that's so interesting. I know. I ha- Don't ask me why. I just, um, it, just the way, you know, life has a funny way of turning out. You write about, you know, dreams and, and things. I, I read your blog and your writing and all. So uh, you have to, you have to know exactly what I'm talking about when, when I say you just know it's not for you, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yep. So, so, um, and then, you know, I've done a few things over my lifetime and, and none of them was writing, but reading's always been a big part of it, which is why this is my retirement hobby. Now, this is what I do talk to great authors and writers. So, so I want to ask you about the very first book you wrote, not necessarily published. It may have been, I don't know, but the very first book you wrote. Is it still in a drawer someplace, or did it get published? I'll tell you what. It sort of got published. How's that for an answer? Okay. I wrote this epic World War II novel set in the Aleutian Islands. My father-in-law had been stationed in the Aleutian Islands during World War II, and he gave me a book called A Thousand Mile War, and I thought, well, I will write about that. Of course, you know, not many people know about it, and it was really the war against the blizzards, you know, this tree, this treeless, span of islands up there by Alaska and um, so I just pinned this epic World War II novel and I sent it to a few people and they were like great Rachel you need to learn about point of view oh okay what's that and so it was just really a learning tool for me and then I discovered that it was and this is in the early 90s and World War II novels were very popular and then it was the, the learning like okay what do publishers want okay you got to is this a romance? What is this? So, because I had bunches of characters, and to this day, though Pam, I think there's elements of writing in that novel that I've never written again because it was all that freshness and all that excitement and all of that. There's something in your first novel that you don't duplicate in any of your others, and it wasn't enough to make it publishable. But there was a certain magic about it that that I really haven't been able to recreate. And then I so I hacked it down into a romance novel, and I just learned so much on that book. Well, years wow. later, I'm contracted, and I'm writing a book where the hero is trying to write a novel. And I thought, I need to have little clips of his work in the story. So I'm like, oh, I've got something. So I pulled <laughs> a couple of scenes, and, I, of course, I had to edit them way down, but I pulled certain things in the heart of that idea of that book, and I put it in his novel. So he wrote a novel set in the Aleutians in World War II. <laughs> so, That's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. I love that I idea. That I stole from myself. Yeah, I stole from myself. <laughs> but that's a, what a wonderful thing. 
Which was the first book that landed you on the New York Times bestseller list? It was one book only. I would love to have another, but so far, uh, The Wedding Dress hit the New York Times in 2016. And what was so beautiful about that, it was such a surprise because the book actually came out in 2012. And um, that my publisher, Thomas Nelson, had put it on sale during Christmas. And it had, of all the books they put on sale, I think they put like 100 books on sale. The wedding dress just went straight to the top. It outsold all of them. And in fact, um, at HarperCollins, our parent company, the parent company, they were like, what book is this? Why is, what's happening here? You know, this book is, who's this book? And so um, then they came on sale again in February. And now the wedding chapel had just come out in November. So in December, the wedding um, dress goes bonkers. So here we are, 2016. They put on sale again in February, I guess, for a Valentine's thing. And I literally was like, okay, whatever. What about the wedding chapel, guys? And about a week into it, I get an email from my publisher, Daisy Hutton was her name. She's a brilliant, gorgeous woman. And I had, you know, 900 a day with about 1,000 exclamation points behind it in the subject line. And she goes, Rachel, you're downloading 900 a day. And Amazon had put it a part of their monthly deal. They were doing monthly deals yep. then. And they put it on the front page. It was the second book in. And I've had other authors go, but my, my front page is, geared towards me and the things that I read and write. And I'm like, I know, but I think that when they did those monthly deals, they put all titles, because there were titles in that list that I, authors I'd never read or I'd never even searched on. Right. So it was just on that front page. And if you scroll down, boom, there it was, this beautiful cover with a long flowing dress. And it just stayed on, the, it hit the New York Times later that month, and it stayed there for nine weeks. So, and then it hit Good the Wall Street. Grief. Yeah, crazy. It was like super exciting. <laughs> I, I, love the, I love the four books in that collection, the wedding collection, because you have the wedding dress at Christmas, which looks a little bit different than the wedding dress. And then you have the wedding yeah. chapel and then you have the wedding shop. All the dresses are different. So you obviously had you were marriage minded because then or before that you had the royal wedding series. And, um, and then I don't see anything on weddings again for a while, but you really had wedding on the mind for that bit that you were writing, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, I guess so. I, it was unintentional, to be honest. I really first had the wedding dress idea and I was with some friends in Tennessee and one of them, our host, our hostess was telling us about finding her daughter's wedding dress. And I don't know what happened, Pam. You know, you had those moments. I was yes. off in wedding dress land. Just it like hit me. And when I came back into the conversation of the other women, they were talking about business because our hostess had been once the president of Borders. Another writer that was there was a lawyer. Uh, the other writer, uh, the other person there was a marketing VP. And they were talking business and all these things and, and publishing. And I was like, guys, what about a hundred year old wedding dress? Like, you know, four women wear, and they were like, huh? Oh, yeah, Rachel, good. And then later they were all like, wait, wait, that was a good idea, Rachel. Let's, let's talk about that. Anyway, I was just wow. so excited about it. And I, and I wow. wrote it. It just kind of, I would like to say it wrote itself, but it didn't. But it was one of those ones that it just some of the elements that came together in the story were so almost divine. And then, I, then Kate married William. So I was like, hey, how about a royal book? Because, I just knew that the 
British royals were going to be back in the press in America. They were going to be on the cover of People as a checkout stand. And so that's how that idea came about. And after wow. I wrote that, my publisher came back and said, do you have any more of those wedding ideas? And so, <laughs> so we went from there. But, you know, um, I, but that's okay. I, I kind of like the fact that you have collections and um, you, because you also have books that are not part of a collection. Isn't that true? I do. Yeah. I have some standalones, quite a few standalones. Yeah. So you have the memory house and the writing desk and the love letter. And so I'm curious about your titles because you, at least it seems like you are talking about in those standalones, you have a very specific item in mind that is bringing a memory or a thought or a centers around your inspiration. Is that true? That's true. So when I started writing The Wedding Dress, I tried mm-hmm. split time for the first time. So that's where there's a historical story and a contemporary story. And then right. they kind of come together at the end. So when I wrote The Wedding Chapel, I did the same thing. And then, So now we have a story about a chapel. And then I wrote The Wedding Shop. Okay, now we have a story about an item. And once again, that, that thing is just uh, – and I found for me in writing split time, having that inanimate object or that, that central point – that kind of gave the story a cohesiveness. So then I came up with the love letter, and it just kind of started to be how I was thinking about stories. And it was kind of a great anchor because right away the reader knows by the title what this central theme is going to be about, that there's something driving the story. And what, if, so if you like love letters, it might intrigue you. If you love an old writing desk, it might intrigue you. And then I yes. wrote, this year I also had the Fifth Avenue Story Society. Right. Um, and that – sent me in another vein with five main characters all contemporary so you kind of just have to deal with the stories as they come to you and also keep an eye on the pulse of what's happening in the market what's selling what's not selling what works for you what do your readers expect so well let's talk about that because that's something that that um i don't think a lot of writers are willing to talk about or nor do a lot of readers understand that that books in and of themselves are a business. Whether you self-publish or whether you have a publisher, um, they are a business for you. And so you, you just mentioned you have to keep an eye on what it is your readers are interested in, what's happening in the market, and also what's going on around you. How much time do you dedicate thinking about those three things before you begin to write a book? Because I'm assuming that you have inspiration from something. It comes from somewhere, but you have to also weave it in with those three other business parts of writing. Yeah, absolutely. In the beginning, you just want to be published, right? So where can I be published? And so a lot of beginning authors, and that's why I think a lot of them start out in romance, is because you had Harley Quinn and different publishers, Avon doing lines and so I wrote you know those little category type romances for um, a Christian publisher called Barber and so that kind of stuck me there and then Chicklet came out and that's where I really found my voice and so and that was brand new of course it you know it spiraled and then it crashed really quick it didn't have a long life so that began to kind of I had to start thinking like well excuse me what is popular and at that time, Dorothea Bitten Frank killing it oh, with the I low know. country. Oh, I know. Yes. That was like, yes. what is this low country thing? 
So I wrote yep. some low country. I started researching. I wrote low country. Then I started kind of going, okay, how are you going to brand yourself, Rachel? You have to be a romance writer set in the South. So, you know, you need to give readers something that they know is consistent. And what is selling? What is popular? My publisher was in the South. And so that's kind of why I just made the business decision to stay with romance. And I kind of write bigger romances. I have multiple characters sometimes. And that you are going to write stories that are set in the South. And so that's kind of how I started looking at it. And then all along, you know, with your writer friends or going to conferences, just, you know, scanning Amazon to see what's out there. I'm always going, what's selling, what's selling, what's selling. You know, there was, for a while there, I'm like, I think I need to have the word girl in my title because every, every book coming out had the word girl in it. Well, it sure did in thrillers, that's for sure. Yeah, it sure it did in in thrillers. It was everywhere. So, yeah, I get that completely. Right, right. It's true. I'm trying to follow that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so So, that's kind of where I live. I love those women who live in the South the low country and write those books, Mary Alice Monroe and like you said, you know, Dorothy. Dorothy, Yeah. And and also I tell you who else I like, and I think who's crossed over genres like you have between romance and women's fiction is my dear friend, Carolyn Brown, who writes the most beautiful books. She just is spectacular. So I don't know she just has like a book in her every other month or every three months. I don't know how she does it, but it's, it's like she doesn't run out of ideas, which I'm thinking is you also, because in your not very long writing life, really, when you think about it, you've got 30 books in, in your catalog. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of books. I mean, there feels like been, a lot of books sometimes, but sometimes it feels like not enough because <laughs> I have friends. But you who know, there there books. are writers. Well, but there are writers whose names are, you know, in, they're like cast in gold, who probably have not read written that many books. So yeah. I think that's quite the accomplishment. And don't be hard on yourself. I can't write a book. I can barely get an email sent off without it sounding like I'm a moron. So, you know, well, I read we readers do not sound like a moron. <laughs> oh, believe me, you don't have any idea how many times I have to spell check and, you know, and, and then check for sentence structure and everything else. And even sometimes, I mean, I, I give my own phone number the wrong way sometimes. So, <laughs> you I know, I no, no, really. I, I, I got a call from FedEx and said, we can't find your address. We can't find you. And I said, well, you know, and I gave them my street address. Said, yeah. And they said, Boulder, Colorado, right? And I said, no, Fort Myers, Florida. <laughs> so who knows what I wrote when I ordered something? That's <laughs> I don't hilarious. know. That's hilarious. It could be anything. Yeah. But, but amazingly, your your books, your covers, everything feels very branded to me. So you really have created your own your own style. I, I think that your books show a beautiful catalog, and man, whoever's doing your covers is doing a great job. I will tell you though, my favorite is Georgia on her mind. I love that cover with all my heart and soul. I, love I don't know why it is. I think that is the coolest cover. It's it's so unique. Um, it's just really a great cover. So I'm going to have to go buy it that is. book now. 
<laughs> I you know, really uh, like it. I love to tell people I'm a working writer. So I, I hear you. There are some people, they come out with a book and, you know, maybe they come out with a book every two years or even one a year. A lot of authors right. do that. But, right. you know, sometimes they're at a different publisher or they have a different kind of backing. You know, that's the whole other side of it. You know, it all depends on what the publisher wants to do, what they think they can sell. It is that business side. So I'm like, yep. I'm a working writer, so I have to produce in order to, when I was contracted with a publisher, you get that advance money. It's a business. Or right. you, the more you write, the more people buy, the more your royalties earn. Or, you know, when you go out on your own, you have to kind of keep that going. And To, Lo- to Love a Print is my first independent published book. Just thought, you know what, I need to diversify my portfolio here, so I'm going to give it a go and see if I like it. And it's been hard and exciting. But I will tell you, the cover of George Ondermeyer was done by a man named Ken Rainey, and that was originally a Harlequin book, and they gave it back to me. I got my rights back. And so I needed a new cover, and I went to Ken Rainey, and he did that beautiful cover for me. So, yeah, I've had that up for about five years, and it still is a successful I, cover. I love that cover very, very much, I have to tell you. Now, I want to talk about, as a matter of fact, let me see. I have to go and buy that book. I just I just can't do it right now, but I like it. <laughs> it's only two ninety nine, Pam. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to buy it, but if I slip off, I might like lose my my choo choo here. I might use my lose my train of thought. Your new book, the cover is just as gorgeous. The blue reminds me of the photograph that my daughter took when she got engaged. Um, it was that oh, wow. beautiful, rich royal blue. So this is the beginning of a series for you. This is True Blue Royal Book One. Let's talk about it. I love this book. <laughs> it is my first Hawk House production. And um, Prince Gus, or Prince Augustus, who's the hero in the story, is actually kind of a passing character. He never makes it on stage in the Fifth Avenue Story Society. But my, char- mm-hmm. my character there named Coral Winthrop, she's an American heiress, She was engaged to Prince Gus, and she had kind of a dramatic moment in her life, and she ended up leaving him at the altar. And that idea came from what what would happen if Meghan didn't show up to marry Harry? And I thought that would be horrible. And so (laughs) I thought, wow, has any prince ever even been left at the altar? As far as I know, no, in his history, we don't have any record of a prince being left at the altar. So I decided to delve into that, and then I thought, poor Prince Augustus, I need to tell his story. I had a lot of readers asking me, are you going to write more royals? And it's a lovely kind of romantic trope, and I said, yeah, let's do it. So it's his story, and then he, the heroine is a girl who grew up playing with him in the palace. Her mother worked for the queen, and then she stumbles on a palace secret, and she's banished below stairs, and they've lost touch with each other. Until one day on a Florida beach, he hits her in the head with a green frisbee, and they're reconnected, and that's the launch of their story. So, uh, yeah, well, I love the fact story. that she called him Prince Pudgy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was kind of pudgy as a kid, so I thought, let's do something different with that. Of course, now he's gorgeous. But as a kid, he was the pudgy prince, and um, he, he wasn't popular. He, he wasn't confident in school. He wasn't super athletic. And so he had all these nicknames, and then he gets left at the altar, and then he gets engaged to another heiress in his country. I have a made-up country called Locked in Land in the North Sea. And they realize they rushed into it, and they're not ready. So the whole press is just beating him up. Why can't he keep these amazing women? What's wrong with him? It's, 
you know, he's not Prince Pudgy anymore, but what's going on? And so he, when he meets his childhood friend, that's his true love. I, I have to say, I think it's so brave of you to take on self-publishing, but you have enough of a following now, just like um, uh, Carly Phillips and, and a lot of the other romance writers um, do, Roxanne St. Clair, who's a dear friend, and said... Yeah, a dear friend of mine as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, another Florida gal. Uh, no yep. more. I'm not, not letting someone dictate what, who, where, when, or how I can write. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, and, um, and I think it's great. And I think sometimes the women's fiction and women's romance writers do are, are a lot braver than others. It's really easy to rely on a publicist to get the word out about you, but romance drives the market still. Yeah. So I think it's really courageous of you to continue on with your own brand. And um, I, I, I think it's wonderful. Give everyone your website address, please. It's www.rachelhauk and that's H A U K dot com. And you can find all my social media links there as well, but on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I'm Rachel Hauk. Well, I, I want everyone to stop by Rachel's page because it is simply beautiful. It is a gorgeous page full of a, lots of interesting things on writing, on all of her films, her audio books, just her blogs, um, how she came to be a writer. She also has – you have a, a little thing about um, how to write too, don't you? You did a, a little tutorial yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, did I? I sometimes I forget what's up there, but um, I've been a part of Susie Mae Warren, who's a good friend of mine and a fabulous author. She has a company called My Book Therapy, and she runs Novel Dot Academy. So I've been teaching and mentoring writers for 15 years, um, almost wow. 15 years. So I love doing that, and I'm on the board of American Christian Fiction Writers, where we mentor and teach authors. And so I've been there, so I know what it's like coming up. So stop on my Instagram. I often do talk about writing or talk about good first lines. So well, and definitely go by and look at her page. It's beautifully done, but also if you're an audiobook lover, which many of you are, you will get a sample of lots and lots and lots of her books and all kinds of other things. So it's a lot of fun. My guest tonight has been Rachel Hauk. She is a New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Her new book is called To Love a Prince, and I highly recommend it. Rachel, thank you so much for being my guest. I'm so glad we finally got got to talk, even though it was kind of like, through the back door. It didn't work out the first time, but it sure did this time. I have loved talking to you, Pam. Thank you so much for working me into your show schedule. I really do appreciate it, and it's been fabulous talking to you. Thank you so much. I want to thank you listeners for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.